This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a closer look at all things elections and voting in North Carolina and beyond. For the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. I'm pleased to be joined today by News and Observer reporter Will Doran to talk about election changes and voting changes that may be coming to North Carolina and the nation. As you're no doubt aware, former President Donald Trump said and continues to say that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election, which he lost. No evidence has come out to demonstrate that there was the type of fraud that could have swung the election, but that hasn't stopped Republicans in states across the country from proposing and passing election laws that Democrats have argued will disenfranchise folks, typically black Americans and lower income Americans. Republicans say that is not the case, and these laws are about election security and strengthening trust in elections. Democrats on the national level have been trying to pass voting rights laws of their own to, they say, make it easier for people to vote and remove some of the barriers, including gerrymandering, to voting and fair elections. Republicans uh, nationally say that these laws are intended to help Democrats win elections, to federalize elections, and, and they're opposed to most of them. So with that context, I welcome in Will to discuss what's happening here in North Carolina where there is, as always, plenty happening. Will, thanks so much for joining the podcast. And you wrote this week about three election bills that were passed in the North Carolina Senate. Uh, all those votes were by Republicans. Can you give a sense uh, of what those bills entail? Sure. Yeah, there's the the three different bills going forward here, and they all do something a little bit different. Um, I think it's important to note, though, that none of them go as far as some of the the national bills. Uh, that you, Well, not the national bills that are in Congress, but the national bills that you've seen in places like Texas or Georgia, Arizona, um, that, you know, would, uh, cut down on, you know, the people's availability to, uh, vote by mail or, you know, that would ban people from handing out water to people waiting in line. Uh, we're not doing that here. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, if you're, if you're not familiar, Georgia, many corporations sort of rebelled against the Georgia law, um, including Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball, which pulled its all-star game out of, out of Georgia in response to the law. Uh, Texas, uh, recently had Democrats walk out of its General Assembly of its state legislature in protest uh, to their voting law, which would have banned souls to the polls, where, in which uh, you know African American churches organized uh, voting, early voting among its congregation. Um, uh, that law is being in the process of being tweaked in the Texas legislature. So, what's happening in North Carolina not uh, not all that different than what's happening around the country. Although, as you point out, uh, maybe the matters of degree are quite different. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a matter of scale. Um, and, you know, part of that is because we have a Democratic governor here. So the Republican led legislature here can't necessarily count on some of their changes being passed. Uh, but what you do have in these three bills is uh, one that deals with absentee voting. It would move up the deadline for people to get their mail in ballots back in here. Uh, right now, we have a three day deadline after uh, after Election Day. And what that's meant to do is allow people to wait until election day to make up their mind, get their ballot in the mail, and then still have three days for the post office to get delivered and let it be counted. So you treat mail-in voters the same as you treat people who vote in person. Let them, you know, wait until election day to see what scandals unfold or, you know, just, you know, talk to their friends, neighbors, make up their mind, whatever they need to do. Um, this would move back to election day. Um, that obviously comes after Donald Trump said frequently in the 2020 election uh, that, you know, whoever whichever candidate is winning on election night should be declared the winner, even if not all the votes are counted. Democrats are opposed to that bill. Uh, they're also opposed to the other two bills. Uh, one of them would 
ban counties from receiving outside funding for elections. Uh, this came after some counties got grants in 2020 to help with buying uh, like face masks and PPE for COVID related issues. Um, but Republicans are afraid that in the future that could balloon into, you know, more partisan things like, you know, nonprofits giving, you know, urban counties more money, you know, and so they could do more get out the vote things and, you know, areas that tend to lean liberal. Uh, and they also pointed out that, you know, hey, Democrats, you might not like it if, you know, conservative groups get involved and do the same thing in Republican counties. Um, so Republicans were actually, uh, you know, they were pretty open about this. They told me, they said this publicly, they were actually expecting some Democrats to get on board with that bill uh, to ban the outside funding. You know, they <laughs> said, you know, you know, do some soul searching Democrats. Like, do you want the Cokes to <laughs> the Koch brothers to come in and, you know, start handing out money in our elections? Um, and they were pretty confident that they did have some democratic votes on board with that. But in the end that didn't pan out. Um, and that vote, but let's, let's go back to the, we'll get to the third bill in a second. But let's go back to the first bill a little bit. Um, sure. this would move up the deadline from three days after the election back to election day. Uh, as you said, Trump, this was a big source of controversy in the election as as mail-in absentee ballots were counted later in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and and other states where Democrats had the advantage and, and eventually took the lead in those states. Um, in 2020, the reason that this is such a big deal in North Carolina, in 2020, that deadline was extended to, if I'm not mistaken, six days after the election or even oh, 12 days, I think, after the election. It was 12. Um, as yep. part of this sort of consent decree or, or lawsuit settlement between um, a Democratic group and the state board of election. That's, that's a lot of the impetus for why this, this is changing. The three days has been in effect for a while. State legislature passed that, um, including with some Republican support. Um, but, but pushing it to 12 days. And that's why we had, even though, you know, Tom Tillis was leading and, and we thought he was going to win, even though Donald Trump was leading and we thought he was going to win in North Carolina. North Carolina, if you remember, was not called in 2020 until after that, about that 12 days after the election, because, um, votes were still, in theory, able to come in. Yeah, you're exactly right, Brian. Um, and like I said, normally the deadline is three days after the election, but in 2020, there was this controversial lawsuit settlement that the State Board of Elections did that extended it to that 12-day deadline. And, you know, that was uh, because of concerns really about uh, the U.S. Postal Service and delays there, you know, because of COVID, because of potential political machinations going on behind the scenes. Um, and uh, Republicans were very angry with the Board of Elections when they approved that. And I should note that the Board of Elections, which has uh, Republican and Democratic members, approved it unanimously. Um, but Republicans in the legislature said, one, you know, that is, it's our job, it's the legislature's job to create laws. And, you know, executive branch agencies shouldn't be able to just undo those laws, especially, you know, in the middle of an election. Because, Voting had already started at the time that this lawsuit came in. And it was very last minute. Um, and then two, which did not help matters, was that the group who had sued that ended up getting the settlement was represented by Mark Elias, uh, who is a big time Democratic attorney, nationally known. Uh, he was Hillary Clinton's lawyer in 2016. He has represented Democrats uh, successfully uh, suing North Carolina before over gerrymandering. He was involved in the 2018 uh, Ninth District scandal with McCray Dallas. Uh, so he is really persona non grata. <laughs> Uh, in conservative circles. So the fact, especially that this lawsuit settlement was involving Mark Elias, just really, really rubbed Republicans the wrong way here. Um, and so 
some of them have said, you know, this bill for moving up the election deadline is in response to that and to, you know, kind of really, I want to say stick it to the board of elections, but to make it very clear that they do not think we should, you know, be receiving ballots after the election, no matter what. Um, and then, you know, also other Republicans have been more explicit and, you know, said that this is because of Trump and this is because, you know, their constituents call them and they have all of these conspiracy theories about mail-in voting and what happened in, you know, the intervening days between election night and when the final results were announced. And, you know, they think votes were changed or votes were added. I mean, you, you saw the Trump campaign putting out all of this stuff about, you know, uh, you know, fake news really about, you know, like they thought, you know, votes were being left on the side of the road or, you know, delivered suspiciously and none of it ever panned out in court. Obviously it was, it it was all baseless, but people believe it. People ate it up. And so, you know, you've heard Republicans saying, look, Democrats, you know, even if, even if you don't like this, this will cut down on those conspiracy theories. um, And it is going to improve, you know, voter confidence in future elections. Yeah, and a, a, a couple things on that. One, you mentioned the, the Republicans very unhappy. They fought a lawsuit over the changes. It made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that it was okay. So that's one reason why that law stuck uh, in 2020. Um, you also, it doesn't matter really when these votes come in. When we've heard from Pat McCrory when he lost in, in 2016 about the late votes that came out of Durham County. Uh, those were election night votes. They got counted on election night, but they came in very late. So. When when a light, when late votes come in from any source that that kind of change an election, I think we're always going to hear that. But um, and, and then in twenty sixteen in twenty twenty, if I'm not mistaken, there was about fourteen thousand va- ballots that came in after election day, and were still counted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was around fourteen thousand. So you've heard voting rights activists, you've heard Democrats say, you know, this bill will result in thousands of ballots being thrown out, and Republicans say, well, that's a red herring. You know, people will change their habits. They'll you know, they'll, they'll get their ballots in the mail earlier. Um, but, you know, we we have had this law in the books for at, at least a decade, I think a little over a decade, the three-day grace period. And, you know, clearly last year we had 14,000 ballots come in after the election um, and get counted. So, you know, there were, you know, people are used to waiting until the last minute to do this. So, you know, I, I don't know that you would necessarily expect 14,000 ballots to get thrown out in a future election, but they're definitely... I, I think anyone would agree there would probably be some of, you know, people who, you know, are just used to waiting till the last minute. Um, and actually uh, ran some numbers uh, with the help of um, Michael Bitzer, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, <laughs> political scientist at Catawba College, uh, who you'll see quoted in lots of our stories, uh, who's really kind of an expert on North Carolina politics. Um, he said this would probably hurt unaffiliated voters the most, actually, even though it is Republicans who use voting by mail the most typically that changed in 2020 because of coronavirus and kind of the politicization of whether or not you should be scared of getting COVID at the polls. Um, and Democrats voted by mail more in 2020, but for, you know, the, the rest of the immediate past history in North Carolina, it's always been Republicans who vote by mail more, but they also get their votes in the mail early. If you look at the data and, you know, the, especially if you look at the late arriving ballots that get sent by election day, but, don't arrive until after the election. That number is very small on Republicans, even though they have the most total and it's very big on unaffiliated voters, which makes sense. If you're unaffiliated, you're not 
necessarily super partisan one way or the other. Maybe you're a split ticket voter, maybe you're undecided voter. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it just kind of logically makes sense that those are the people who would be, uh, you know, waiting until the last minute to make up their minds. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a couple things that we need to look uh, at. As journalists, we can certainly appreciate people uh, filing on deadline. And so uh, that, <laughs> that that will change habits. If you move up the deadline, it, it should change people's habits uh, as long as they're aware that the deadline has changed. Um, well, I'll be interested to look in 2022 what Trump's uh, assault, really, for lack of a better term, on um, voting by mail does. As you, as you point out, Republicans have, have generally been people who vote by mail much more than Democrats. Um, in 2020, that flipped, uh, in large part because Trump said, you can't trust voting by mail. Voting by mail is fraud in many ways, even though he, he voted by mail. Um, and so we saw the pattern really shift. I mean, one thing we saw is that, um, the vote by mail was overwhelmingly Democratic and early voting, which in the past had been overwhelmingly Democratic, started to flip and Republicans started to make up grounds in early voting, early in-person voting. Um, and so we really saw voting habits, um, at least partisan voting habits change dramatically in 2020. Was that a coronavirus Donald Trump thing? And will it go back to normal in 2022 and 2024? Or has that, has that changed for good? And, and we'll now see very, very different voting habits by, uh, by partisans. And so, so that's, you know, that's one thing. Um, you, you mentioned the second part, which is banning outside groups from giving money. I think we've explained that pretty well. Um, the, the third one relates to a long ongoing issue in North Carolina politics, voter ID. Can you give us a sense of, of how Republicans, and, and this is very much seems to me that Republicans try to craft a bill to one, help them with lawsuits about voter ID and two, try to answer some of the criticisms that that maybe they perceive as legitimate criticisms about who can and can't get IDs. Yeah. Um, so right now, obviously, our voter ID, we have voter ID in the Constitution, but it's been blocked because of lawsuits against it. Uh, it's just basically on hold while those lawsuits play out. Um, one of the trials happened uh, in April. I covered that for the NNO. That was the state trial. There's also a federal trial that's probably not going to happen until 2022. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. Um, but... Yeah, so part of this bill, it would create a mobile voter ID unit, and it's very slim on details. Basically, it would just tell the Board of Elections, like, you know, figure out some way to, you know, go to people's houses if they need it uh, to get them voter ID so they don't have to, you know, get to the DMV. And this is based, you know, in part, you know, Democrats have said that voter ID is unfair and in some ways unconstitutional because not everyone can easily get to a DMV to get an ID. Uh, you know, maybe they don't own a car because they don't have a driver's license. And so they'd have to, you know, pay for a taxi cab or something like that. And then, you know, it gets into the realm of like, okay, well, if you're paying for something that you need to vote, is that a poll tax, which obviously has a long racist and unconstitutional history, uh, in the South. Um, and so that's actually, Big part of the voter ID lawsuit, uh, one of the people who sued over it is a disabled person whose mother and caretaker said that she wasn't able to get him to the DMV. It would have cost a lot of money to, you know, get hire like a specialized van that could hold his wheelchair to bring him there. And so, you know, Republicans didn't bring this up when they're talking about this bill, but, you know, obviously this bill would address that very, you know, specific issue that is, you know, the, 
<laughs> which is what gives standing to the main plaintiff in the lawsuit against voter ID. Uh, so, you know, and we've seen this happen before, um, you know, voter ID also uh, was previously, you know, one of the reasons it was put on hold and called, you know, potentially racially discriminatory was because they allowed some types of federal IDs to be used, but not public assistance IDs, uh, which got flagged by judges as being, you know, hey, maybe that's, you know, kind of racist. Um, and so then the legislature passed a new law saying, okay, we'll accept, you know, public assistance IDs. And it was the kind of thing where all of a sudden, Republicans had previously opposed that. Democrats had previously asked for it. But then once it became helpful to Democrats' cause in the lawsuit, then Republicans wanted it and Democrats opposed it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, you're kind of seeing the same thing with this mobile voter ID unit now. Uh, you know, Democrats are all opposed to it because, uh, you know, it is, you know, a big part of this lawsuit against voter ID. So, <laughs> yeah, one, one question I have, and, and, and I don't expect you to be able to answer this, but um, you know, the government is, is fully capable of sending, uh, tax checks, you know, in, uh, you know, tax requests, uh, fully capable of sending other things to every person in the United States that's over 18 years old, uh, for what, for registering for the draft for one. Um, it, it seems odd that they would not be able to mail out a government issued ID to everyone in the country, or at least people who are unable to get to, to, to voter ID to, to the DMV or to other places. It seems like there are solutions to this that, that have been either willfully ignored or, um, or, or just forgotten about. Um, if, if this is the answer. And the reason I bring it up is because, um, you know, the, the Senate and the house on, on the national level are dealing with these very same issues. I mean, um, there is a what's called For the People Act, um, a sweeping election law change. This is from the Democrats' perspective, which would allow mail out absentee ballots. Uh, it would allow it would it would it would ban voter ID. Um, essentially, uh, Joe Manchin, who who I've jokingly started referring to as the president since he holds so much power in the U.S. Senate, uh, just this week put out a list of things that he would like to see in a voting rights bill. And he put in some things that, that Democrats would very much go for, which is making, uh, election day a federal holiday, uh, which is banning gerrymandering. Um, but he also put in one thing in particular that Republicans would want, and that was universal voter ID. Um, now he would allow some exceptions. You'd be able to bring a, a utility bill and some other things, uh, to prove that you lived at an address. Um, Mitch McConnell and Republicans are, are still opposed to, to even the mansion compromise. Um, but it, it, I, I bring this up only to say that these issues are, you know, being hard fought in North Carolina. They're also being fought at the national level. And um, there doesn't seem to be any resolution coming, at least nationally. So it will be up to each state to, to kind of decide on its own, um, you know, what, what direction it takes. Have, uh, have you heard from any members of our North Carolina delegation what they think of that, that mansion plan? I haven't. I haven't. It just came out uh, on Wednesday of this week. And, um, you know, Manchin is in this unique position, puts out a lot of things that he thinks are sort of compromise bills. And, uh, certainly Mitch McConnell, uh, the, the Senate majority or the Senate minority leader, uh, you know, has a lot of sway of, over that Republican caucus. I mean, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, two separate pieces of legislation at the national level. Um, Republicans, uh, universally across the board are, are opposed to the For the People Act. It is a sweeping change. It deals with um, expanded online voter registration. It deals with, uh, you know, minimum standards for voting and election administration. It, 
It requires more uh, disclosure requirements on political advocacy groups. It, it does a lot of things. Um, the mansion compromises is a much narrower focus, really focused on, on election laws. Um, and then the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act would would restore the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court said you know is is no longer in play. Basically, Supreme Court and I can't remember which year, but but within the last decade said Congress needs to revamp the Voting Rights Act. Um, you know we're, we're not opposed to the Voting Rights Act, but Congress needs to revamp it. Um, and Congress has been unable to to do that as they've been unable to do many things um, that require bipartisan cooperation. And so there is no Voting Rights Act. Um, you know, the, the pre-clearance that would that states like North Carolina would have had to undergo if they wanted to change election laws no longer exists. And that's why we've seen a lot of states uh, that, as we mentioned earlier, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, these states would not have been able to make these election law changes Um if the pre-clearance standard had still been in place, they would have had to take these changes to the federal government um, to see if they if they were allowed. And so, one of the reasons we're seeing so many election law changes is because the, no longer states the, the Voting Rights Act does not exist anymore, or at least that section of it doesn't exist anymore, and pre-clearance doesn't exist anymore. And so, states are free to make some of these changes uh, without without the federal government's approval. Yeah, that Supreme Court case happened in 2013, and within two months, North Carolina had passed a massive sweeping set of changes to election last year. Uh, you know, people obviously were just very much waiting for preclearance to go away. Um, and, you know, there, there was a brand new Republican governor. Pat McCrory had just been sworn in. Obviously, Republicans had the legislature. Um, and that was our first attempt at voter ID. And then also some of the stuff that, uh, you know, you were mentioning with Texas earlier, like trying to cut down on Sunday voting, which is when lots of, you know, black churches uh, have their souls to the polls events. Um, and that was the law that was uh, very famously ruled uh, unconstitutional for uh, targeting African Americans with almost surgical precision. Um, and that, you know, so there, there are obviously still some checks and balances, um, even without, you know, the federal DOJ having preclearance over these laws, you know, people can still sue and the courts can still step in and say, no, that's racist. Um, but yeah, obviously when preclearance was still in effect, uh, you know, that law probably never would have happened in the first place. Um, and, you know, uh, never would have created all the, uh, the headlines that I know Republicans are very frustrated by. Um, <laughs> and you know, all of the, uh, the just anger that the Democrats have over those changes as well. Well, let's get ready to wrap this up. Uh, you talked about the three bills that got passed by the North Carolina Senate, uh, the Republican controlled North Carolina Senate likely to go to the house where I assume the Republicans will be able to pass them. What are the chances that, that Governor Cooper, uh, you know, signs any of these bills that, that Democrats get on board with any of them. Are there any possible changes to these bills that might attract Democratic support or, or do you see a veto? And then we'll be talking about veto overrides for, for the rest of the summer and fall. I, I think it's pretty clear that Democrats are going to be opposed to the mail-in voting one. Um, obviously not going to speak for the governor, but I would probably assume he'll veto that one should it pass the Senate and get sent to him. The one that I'm a little less certain about is the ban on outside election funding. Um, you know, I mean, historically, it's local government's job to fund elections. And I think, you know, both sides could come up with nightmare scenarios of, you know, political 501c4s, dark money groups, you know, funneling money into, you know, favored counties to, you know, maybe try to swing results in some close races. So that's one. And 
the backstory here is this actually used to all be one bill. All three of these bills used to just be one bill, but Republicans broke it up into three because they think that some pieces of it have better chances than others. And I think that's probably the piece that has the bit, the best chance. So, you know, we'll just wait and see what happens. What's funny about that is that's the opposite approach that they take on the federal level where they make the bills as large as possible so that uh, you're forced to vote uh, for, for a ginormous bill that you may agree only agree with, you know, 40% of or 50% of, but you agree so strongly with that 40 or 50% that you're willing to overlook the rest of it. Uh, the state legislature seems to have taken the opposite track, which I think most uh, citizens would agree is, is maybe a better track, which is to break these bills into their component parts and, and see which ones actually have support and, and get a little bit uh, without forcing uh, people to vote for, for parts that they don't like. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll see which strategy works in the end, or maybe none of it'll work, and we'll just you know in in two months we'll just be right at the same place where we were, and everything will be dead. But that that's probably the best bet. Uh, another thing to keep in mind, you know, the Census Bureau we, we haven't even gotten into uh, redistricting, which is coming up later this year. So the the fight over districts, the fight over voting, the fight over elections ha- has really just begun, um, and is not going away anytime soon. Um, so, Will, thank you so much for joining us on, on this week's episode of Under the Dome. Uh, check out all Will's stuff at newsandobserver.com. And uh, for the News and Observer and NC Insider, I'm Brian Murphy. We'll see you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.